You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iwoo. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. This is Fresh Text, Episode 3. Fresh Text is a chance for a few people to come together and have an initial encounter with a biblical text, uh, one that's taken from the Revised Common Lectionary for the upcoming Sunday, uh, just, uh, you know, to uh, stimulate your minds and stir your hearts, uh, and if possible, if helpful, uh, feel free to draw on any of this stuff that we uh, bandy about as uh, as we're preparing sermons for this upcoming Sunday. Um, so I'm here uh, with Aaron Perry. Say hi, Aaron. Hey, everybody. And my name is John Drury, if I didn't already say that. And uh, yeah, we're going to jump into this week's text. This week's uh, text is John, Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. John 10, 11 through 18. Let's see. Hmm. Now, uh, you notice that, that hmm on Aaron's part. That's because we do not prepare for these. We just open it up and see where it goes. Um, that's on purpose, uh, not just because we're lazy, maybe that too, but uh, mainly because <laughs> we, uh, we want to kind of focus on the text being fresh, seeing where you might go when you just write open. Because um, as you know, the, the finished product of a sermon or a teaching is often after uh, a process of encounter. So... Uh, that, mm, though, this week was fake because I told oh. him the text 30 seconds ago. Oh, no. <laughs> you didn't want me to tell that? No. <laughs> All authenticity has been lost. This is completely stale text. This no. Has become, this has become stale text. It literally was just like two minutes ago when we were doing the intro. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, I'll... Uh, how about... Let's let's do... Uh, what, what version you got open this week? I have the New Living Translation. Dude. Let's do... Let's... Uh, let me read. Uh, I think I've, this is uh, this is an NASB, super wooden. Let me do the NASB and then you do the NLT. Yeah. So then we get two versions on the table and then we'll uh, we'll have yeah. a chat. All right. So John chapter ten, starting with verse eleven. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down 
and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. That was from the NASB and now from the NLT, New Living Translation. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will leave the sheep because they aren't his, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he is merely hired and has no real concern for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may have it back again. No one can take my life from me. I lay down my life voluntarily, for I have the right to lay it down when I want to, and also the power to take it up again, for my Father has given me this command. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, let's first start with... uh... Maybe it's obvious, but you know this is not a this is not an Easter story, but we're still in the Easter season, and so the lectionary surely uh, selected this text as befitting the Easter season. So uh, it's uh, some of the connection seems obvious, but I think that might be a fun place to start. Is uh, yeah. why, why this text? Yeah. Why is this fitting for the fourth Sunday of Easter? Uh, well, just from my own reading and where I am in my own devotional life i am in more traditional easter texts and i've just was just reading yesterday the story of mary encountering the gardener or who she thinks Mm. is the gardener and of course that (laughs) that very personal word that she recognizes him when he calls her name mary and uh you get that that personal sense of the shepherd knowing the sheep here and so i'm thinking there's a there's a connection there for sure for john the the when she hears her personal name from her from her friend and Lord, uh, she recognizes him. And likewise here, there's a sense of mutual recognition that, that the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd and they, they recognize his voice. Yeah, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My father knows me. I know the father. Right? Mm. I call them all by name. Mm. And they recognize my voice. That's a little earlier, but... Um, in this story because the whole shepherd and door stuff starts at verse one, but yeah. they just pulled out 11 through 18 here, but well, that's a huge connection, man. My sheep know my voice. That's yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. They, she doesn't recognize him. That's that big theme. Mm-hmm. One of the big themes yeah. in Easter stories is yeah. that movement from non-recognition to recognition. And I mean, you can almost see it now. Maybe I'm playing too much, but Oh, well, what, what else should we do? Um, you almost get the sense of the father's recognition of the son in raising him from the dead and the son receiving that recognition and then turning around to those who do not recognize him. Mm. He recognizes them first. They recognize mm. back the initiatives yeah. from the father to him and then from him to the father, but then it's mutual. Yeah. It's mutual, but not a what, symmetrical. What, right. What you, what you just said, I mean, delving into the, phenomenology of resurrection which is is pure play right like how can we get it yeah but what would it have been like for jesus that moment of resurrection to grasp what had just happened 
right? Like we, we think yeah. of, I mean, we have the metaphor of sleep for death and there's this various stages of sleep, of course, which I don't know anything about, but I mean, there's, there's that moment where you're like, from one side of it, you're asleep, but when you get jarred, you're like, oh, I wasn't really quite asleep. Mm. And then there's other times when you're like, I was totally asleep, and I had no, I, I didn't even know it until I, until I woke up. Right from from mm-hmm. both sides of that wakefulness, it's just pure sleep. And I'm like, surely if there's anything that communicates death better, it's the sense of I was really asleep. Right, both yeah. sides of that. And imagine that that first moment of of Jesus <laughs> coming back. And, yeah. and being recognized by the father, right. Of, of who was, who has just raised him. And, and like, you're just saying, playing with that, uh, that Jesus recognized Mary and that first moment of her recognition of, of who Jesus was. I mean, that, that is, I think it's amazing. There's something there to rejoice in. Like, yeah. Praise him. Yeah. I love, I love the double, the double meaning of, of a word like recognition. It's both kind of cognitive. You're recognize you're knowing someone, you know who it is, but also kind of acknowledgement, a kind of, mm recognition is like saying, you know, you, you call an award a recognition, you're being recognized for who you are, you know, and it's kind of clear that the resurrection is the kind of yes fundamental recognition of yes. Christ. It's the act by the father that says all that has come before is true and real. It's what makes all everything that came before different than every other messianic pretender that came before and after is that, is that singular resurrection. Um, and interesting, it's interesting you talk about the phenomenology of resurrection, which is a fun phrase, and that it's pure play. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Eastern narratives focus on the disciples encountering him or encountering the empty tomb, right? You get a, empty tomb narratives, you have appearance narratives. Um, they're not really narrated from Jesus' perspective. Mm-hmm. They're always narrated yeah, from yeah, the yeah. perspective of the disciples, I think, intentionally so, as the witnesses and their experience. Um, the actual event of resurrection as such is not narrated, right? Perhaps partially because it is an event between the father and the son, Mm -hmm. not something we're directly, we only see the traces of it. And Paul's letters talks a lot about resurrection and its significance. But again, for us, you know, we've, we've been crucified with him. We've been raised through his death. We are saved and have hope that we too will be raised, et cetera. Mm -hmm. This is one of maybe one of the few passages where you get Jesus kind of, more, I mean, he predicts his he predicts his resurrection in the synoptics, but it's just in pat. You know, he predicts mm-hmm. the passion in detail, and then the last lines always. And after three days, days he will rise. Right? Although there's all this detail, but the passion, you know, these people, and he'll be whipped and beaten and spat on, you know, and then he's going to raise up. Right? But here you get a little more detail, kind of from his perspective. Again, mm-hmm. you don't get yeah. that much in terms of his feelings. You know, again, so you don't have a full, as you called it, a phenomenology. But this is really kind of like this is what Jesus has to say. Yeah. at least a little bit yeah. of what resurrection is all about that immediately then strikes me and says, boy, this good shepherd passage, which I've taught on so much, especially when you start in the second half of it like this and end with 17 and 18, it has a way of making me think, I, I want to think about this whole shepherd thing as, as an Easter story, mm. you know, a, an Easter parable, which isn't usually necessarily where we go right away when we think of good shepherd. Maybe you do. I, I, I tend not to. And so this is, this is helping me, see that one of the reasons he's offering this parable is to kind of see, right. I lay down my life for the sheep and I receive it again from the father, you know? So going, going into the text, I mean, it opens up with the phrase, I am the good shepherd and an amazing connection of the, the shepherding metaphor, which is 
so richly grounded in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East as well. It's mm-hmm. not it's not unique to Israel. Shepherds are metaphors of of royalty throughout mm. the ancient Near East, and there's I mean you've got heavy critiques of the shepherds of Israel yeah. in in Ezekiel and how they are they are they steal they take the wool they take the meat they they abuse the they abuse the flock and use them for their their benefit and Jesus is drawing contrast here that he's the good shepherd right the, mm. the depth of this the contrast. And yet, in the midst of this metaphor, which is so familiar to them, there's the mystery of the I am, right? The I am statement. And so you've got this familiarity and mystery, which is so much a description of the Eastern narratives. There's a familiarity with Jesus, and yet there's a mystery to him as well. And I'm thinking, just my mind is going back to the Mary passage when when she she wants to cling to him again, and he says, don't cling to me, I have not yet gone uh-huh. to the Father. You know, there, there's this this connection of familiarity and mystery all the time with with Jesus and it's just it's resonating with me as I read as I read this here about I am I am the good shepherd and the familiarity that comes with hearing his voice and yet the strangeness of the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep mm. and Jesus being clear this is this is not being taken from him this is given this is what he's he is doing this of his own authority of his own volition which I think is an important, I think is an important reminder, especially in our against some of the synoptics, and the synoptics aren't are teaching that as well, but not nearly so explicitly. That that in in some ways the synoptics we see the triumph of, of evil over goodness in the in the crucifixion, at least in the in the first re, on the surface of it, right? But here John is so clear that right from the step, right from the get go, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like this is. The cross is so deeply intertwined as the purpose of Jesus mm-hmm. through the gospel of through the gospel of John. It is in the synoptics as well, but John makes it clear. Like, there's no way you can read it, John, and say, "Oh, that that just kind of happened," you know, yeah. that that just kind of happened to, to Jesus, or or that was the way that 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 was the way that his life had to go. It was it was the purpose and plan of God from the from the get go in John. It seems to me. Yeah, for the synoptics, it, it's. Uh... Obviously, it doesn't just happen, but it it is a, it is a the, the middle sections, you know, starting in chapter starting with the first prediction right after Peter's confession. So, chapter eight of Mark, chapter eight ish as well of Luke, and then later sixteen ish of Matthew. It's more it's clearer in Mark and, and Luke structurally than Matthew, but you start getting you know there's the three predictions of the Passion. There's this turn. And yeah. Luke has a very clear, he sets his face on yeah. Jerusalem or in at Mark, it's all about these on the way to Jerusalem. And you get this sense that like the initial season, the initial period of discipleship in Galilee is a time of healing and a time of teaching, you know, and then the inner circle then is revealed. Okay. We're heading to the cross now. And that becomes this, this trial for them. I think, which, which, I mean, one could say that that in many ways corresponds with at least a lot of our experiences of how discipleship works. There's the kind of, wow, you know, Jesus is really cool. He's done amazing things for me. I'm learning from him. And then there's that invitation to the deeper life that means, yeah, but this brings suffering too, you know, and it's not just, you know, it's not just me doing something to you, but you do, you being with me in my sufferings and even me doing things for you on your behalf without you too. Whereas you write in John and interestingly doesn't start in Galilee, you know, starts in Jerusalem and keeps going back to Jerusalem. So you almost get the sense of like the last half of the other gospels that are all focused on Jerusalem. 
John's almost kind of like an expansion of that period of the yep. ministry in a way. I don't mean that chronologically as much as thematically to yep. say that he's sort of from the beginning, yep. the goal is all what he calls his hour or his glory, yep. which is also cross and resurrection as one single two-sided event rather than as kind of yep. <laughs> cross and then overturned in resurrection, which is how it plays out in the synoptics more. In, in John, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. Cross resurrection's all one big event of mm -hmm. glory, you know. Just like with Luke with the Ascension LA, John tends to combine and unite what others tend to keep distinct, both in chronology and in theme, you know, mm. if that makes any sense. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Seven. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Uh, I mean, what was just jumping out at me is this idea of the wolf, the, right? the, the, the sheep being under attack and that that how that connects in can connect in with discipleship as well. Those who are in the company of the shepherd, mm. there's there's a danger to it. There's a there's a risk to it, and not one to be ignored. Right? This is not this is not about that. The wolf doesn't even dare to attack the sheep in the midst of the good shepherd. It's that the, the good shepherd stays with them. And I'm thinking of the the prayer of Jesus as well, not to rescue his disciples out of the world, but to mm. to keep them. Mm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what does it mean for the good shepherd to how do we preach it? Or I shouldn't get to that. Not saying how do we preach it, but what does it mean for the good shepherd to remain the good shepherd in a time of testing and trying where he is, he, I mean, Jesus ends up praying for the disciples. How do, how do his shepherds, you know, see my, I'm already going to preaching. That's, that's where, that's my, okay. that's where I'm going, right? How, how do his shepherds now act as, as pointers to the good shepherd, right? Seeing the, seeing the sheep who are so often under attack from the, the wolf, the wolf is trying mm. to scatter them and, and displace them. Well, maybe the path, the path into preaching, what does it mean to be a shepherd? I guess it always, it all, like in all our journeys, you know, even when we become under shepherds, you know, shepherds under the great shepherd, as first Peter puts it mm -hmm. in chapter five, you know, we never cease to be sheep, yep. you know? Yep. So first and foremost, the disciples are sheep. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, you and I are in our sheep and all our listeners are sheep. Even if you are also a shepherd, you're first yes. sheep, you know? And I know that's even huge for me as I preach and teach that I always, when I'm encountering a text to not, as you were catching yourself earlier, to not rush because that is a temptation of the shepherd Yeah, is to, is to forget our sheepiness, right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> to forget that I'm a sheep who is just in grave danger <laughs> mm -hmm. and who needs the one great shepherd, the true shepherd, the, the good shepherd to protect me and that he lays it down his life for me. And though I too, as a shepherd, I'm also called to that, right? That's always my cross. I'm not carrying his cross. I don't lay down my life for the whole world. As he says, you know, I have other sheep, right? Yeah. Um, which is, of course, that would be, I think, maybe something we would want to be careful about not applying to our lives as shepherds, right? We're thinking, <laughs> what are the other sheep? You know, it's like, no, how, how's First Peter put it? Care for the flock that has been entrusted to you, right? So we're not caught up in the whole flock, you know, everywhere and always but our flock. Mm. Um, so I guess that's why I ask, like, as a sheep, what does it mean for me to read this passage, to actually hear Christ himself say that he knows me mm. and that I know him, that he loves me, that I follow him, that I'm in grave danger without him, and to know that there may be some hirelings around yeah. to not <laughs> entrust myself to as a sheep, you know? That they're, you know, 
I don't know, I can't help but immediately kind of think like, I don't know, when you have like, I've had leaders and mentors in my life disappoint me, mm. you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it'd be helpful for me to just sometimes say, like, well, okay, maybe they were a hireling, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, uh, that's not bad. It's not evil. They're not Satan, right? The Satan's the, the, the wolf. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right. But there are, there are those who are in our lives that are helping the Lord, but that fall short, that mm. fail. Um, because they don't have that, that perfect love that he has that just, I mean, again and again, I think it's four times it says lay down, maybe five in this passage. That's what mm. struck me as the, the refrain. Yeah. Lay down my life for the sheep, lay down my life on behalf of the sheep who pair <laughs> in the place of the sheep, right? I lay down my life so that I die instead of them who pair on behalf of the sheep. Um, lay down, lay down his life. Of course, that's the same phrase. Lay down is the phrase that he uses in John 13 when he, when he lays down his clothes or he takes, he takes off mm. his clothes to take up the towel. Of course, which is a passage of double, a, a betrayal from Judas and a denial from Peter. And uh, Jesus is extending friendship to both of them in the, in the meal, yeah. in, in the meal. And yet it symbolizes perfectly and it doesn't seem symbolize. It, it enacts what he's about to do. He shows in the full extent of his love by taking the posture of a servant and this, the shepherd who is the servant and it's in his service that, that he's contrasted with those who are, as you say, maybe can contrast with those who are hirelings, right? That Peter is, is kind of a hireling. He's, he's yeah. the one who runs, he flees. Yeah. Right? And then later is, is commissioned as a shepherd, but first he fled. Right? Yeah. First he, he fled. And, and, uh, we talked about another week when we were talking about John, how Peter is kind of, he's affirmed in the gospel of John, but he also, there's kind of these, these little critiques of him yeah. as well in, in John's gospel. I'm wondering, there's, I think there's, there's something there, there drawing a contrast between the shepherd, the sheep, the wolf, the hireling and, and running that, those categories a little bit and how they, they illuminate, uh, some of our experience of, of Christ and some of our experience of the church and leadership. Yeah. So the characters in the, in the parable here, right? We've got G we've got the shepherd, we've got sheep, we've got hireling, we've got wolf. We have other sheep from another fold, right? Um, and then the father, the father yeah. who slips in and then the metaphor starts to loosen up, but even there it still works because, um, I've actually heard someone say, uh, side note, that um, all the grandiose language in John, the Father, the Son, especially because of our Trinitarian doctrine later, it tends we tend to maybe sometimes overinterpret some of these passages. And I read a text one time that's, that said that the the definite article in uh, in Greek and in in its kind of rootage could actually be meaning. You know, like fathers do this and sons do that. Fathers no sons and sons mm. no fathers. Mm. You don't have to immediately run to these as capital F, capital S. I'm not saying those are wrong interpretations. I'm saying at first glance, the original hearers may have heard these as as sure. parables, you know? Mm. This is how fathers and sons relate. Mm. Again, it's meant to illustrate yeah. Jesus' relationship with God and so father and son as we have come to speak of them. So I'm not denying that layer but want to recognize it's a, it's a deeper layer. It's not the immediate layer the way it is in our capital F translations, yeah. you know? So you can think of the father who owns the sheep and you see this all throughout Genesis, right? That you've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they always have their sons running around with sheep and they're back at the tent. I mean, it's like straight out of the, 
that imagery, um, which would have been actually just as relevant to Christ's understanding of these things as any, as actual shepherding since he, you know, he was, a, he was a, he was a small town boy and a stone cutter son, you know what I mean? So shepherding is as much a, a biblical theme as it is an everyday experience yeah. for him, although it's also an everyday experience, but, um, so you can almost think of it as the father, you know, owns the sheep, right? And Jesus says, you know, that he speaks of his disciples as those that the father has given to him, right? So these are the sheep that have been entrusted to him, you know? And then, yeah, the hirelings, those could be uh, Pharisees, teachers of the law, that kind of thing, scribes and such. Although they, you know, we can also think of them as, you know, the bad shepherds of Ezekiel. <laughs> yeah. That would fit. Maybe that's yeah. what makes them bad shepherds is they're just hirelings. Yeah. They're not faithful, you know? And then, yeah, Peter is a sheep, but he's kind of a little bit like a hireling. He says, I'm going to die for you. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you're going to die for me? Really? <laughs> no, I'm going to die for you. And they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, as he quotes um, later, I think, in chapter 12. And the Father loves me, it says, precisely because I lay down my life for the sheep, which means that the father loves the sheep, the sheep. right? Yeah. He loves us so much that he desires his son to trade his life for ours. You, you can't help but read it and, and read, hear John 3.16 in the background, hmm. that he gave his begotten son. This is, this is the, and in a way, the fullness of God's love is expressed by the giving of the one whom he loves for the sake of those whom he loves. I mean, it's, yeah. it's from love to love. It's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, there, there is, there is no other element in the gift of the son for the sheep, but love for the sheep and love of the son and the son who is desiring to do so, who, who, who gives his own life. It is not taken from him, right? It's not, it's not taken from him by any, it is, it is his will. It is his desire. It is, it is his love for the father and his love for the sheep that he, that he gives his, uh, that he gives his own life. Yeah. And for me, both devotionally and doctrinally, and also in terms of preaching, we'll get to in a moment. Uh, I need to be constantly reminded that it's not that the father hates me and Jesus likes me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Some of our imagery, some of our singing, some of some even biblical texts can be can imply that, you know, this idea that the father is wrathful at us. But thank God that the son gets between the father and me, you know, yeah. um, which obviously is just rooted in my own daddy issues. But I, I know I don't have those alone. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That there is this and that image is helpful, but it's li so limited because it isn't the truth. Mm -hmm. The truth is that the love I experience from Christ is precisely the outpouring of the love the Father has for Absolutely, me. Yes. It, is, it is in no way that the Father is against me and Christ is for right. me. It's that Christ is for me precisely because the Father it, is for me and the Father is against the wolf. Yeah. And so being against, and the fact is, is the wolf is sometimes in us. And so there is, there is you know, yeah. work that needs to be done, forgiveness that needs to be had, justice that needs to be meted. But at the end of the day, it's because he loves us. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. Right. This display, yeah. what you see in Jesus is is what you see in the Father. I've been. This is a little bit out of our text, but I've been reflecting on 
um, I've been reflecting on these words that come to Jesus at the raising of Lazarus when they, they come to him and they say, um, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I, and I was thinking, just playing with the text, but those, those words come to Jesus and Jesus acts to raise Lazarus and how those are words that we might even reflect on words that, that Jesus, the son brings to the father to say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus is the one mm. who goes to heal. Or this this message that the Ooh. Son brings to the Father, as well as as what is brought to Him, and and it is it, it is from love to love. It's the love of the Father for the sheep, and the love of the Father for the Son that the Son is given. And it's the love of the Son for the sheep, and the love of the Son for the Father that the Son gives, and and is is not is not simply passively passive in this. It, he lays down his life. He gives his life. And and as John says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is giving as well. There's, yeah. It's beautiful, man. So what's your winkle? What's your angle? Where 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 do you where would you see They're yourself like going? There's I like know. That That's song. how I feel this week. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, this. I mean, I think in some ways that this this could even end up being a heart to heart from the pastor to the sheep in this idea that that. Um, almost letting letting the congregation behind the curtain a little bit to see uh, the different ways that it's tempting to be the hireling, mm. uh, and yet to see mm. oneself as as sheep as well, and to and to let them in. How how does this preach to me? And and kind of let them into let them into the the text hitting us that that mm. the son the son's life is given for us as sheep before the son has commissioned us to be shepherds. And the importance of humility and, and kind of, I mean, there might be one way that I would do it. There might be one way that I would preach it that way. Uh, I also, I'm still reflecting on this connection of, of mystery and familiarity with Jesus in I am the good shepherd. Of familiarity and to, and to have people come at that in both ways. That if we become too familiar with Christ, which is tempting and happens is to be reminded of the mystery of who he is, that, that people who had been with him were still saying, uh, we don't know the way, right? There's still a mystery to him. There's still something indescribable. And yet if there's people that, that can feel the, the mystery and the, the, the disconnect almost be, between them and Christ is to, is to have the familiarity as well, that the sheep hear his voice, they know his voice, he calls them by name, uh, they know this story, right? They know this picture. This is this is everyday, everyday kind of language, everyday kind of stories um, to to communicate for those for whom Christ is a mystery that there's a familiarity that they can grow into, and for those for whom Christ has simply become familiar that there's a there's a mystery that we need to be reminded of as well. And that that might be another winkle. That might be another part of the text that's mm. that's hitting me. How about for you? Wow. Well, I have I left to, it three or four. I mean, I left yeah, it, I left no, it's great. <laughs> well, I'll confess first of all, and this doesn't uh, whether it, honestly, if I you know if I gave it time, this could this could move in a more homiletical direction. But angle wise, I I can't uh, get my attention off of seventeen and eighteen, <laughs> um, and I'll say why in a second. Let me read it again. So. Um, uh, because of this, the father loves me that I lay down my life so that again, I may receive it 
No one takes it from me, but rather I myself lay it down from myself. Authority I have to lay it down and authority I have again to receive it. This is the command I received from my father. The, 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 the confession is, this is the proof text uh, that emerges as an objection to a long-term project of mine. <laughs> and so this is like this quote that I'm always like wrestling with because it's like the, the best counter evidence to a, a theme of mine, which is to always emphasize that Christ did not raise himself. The father raised Christ because he's dead. Dead people don't do things. God, the father raised him, him and he arose, right? But he doesn't raise himself. Okay. And that the, 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 mm. the Christian tradition tends to speak that way. Yeah. And the new Testament doesn't actually speak in those reflexive pronouns. Um, this is one of the only texts that seems to imply it. Um, and even here, it's not a reflexive. It's not, I raise myself. It's, I have the authority to take it up again. Um, but you'll notice I kind of, well, I didn't cheat. I was just translating it uh, my own way. This verb, receive, lombano. No one translates the last phrase as take. No one says, this is the commandment I take from my father. They always translate it receive. But in the previous two sentences, we usually translate it take and even take up which is a little more uh, bold than the simple Lombano. Now, you, know, you can't make a mountain out of a molehill with the language here. Although the fact that the rest of the New Testament set says, God the Father raised Jesus the Son, or Jesus arose, which is different. That's, that's not a reflexive. That's not raising himself. Um, and I was linked back to your earlier statement. What was it like for Jesus? You know, <laughs> yeah. So we can't really know, but I mean, the language of the New Testament can guide us here. And... It's powerful for me, though. So this is this really is an angle. This really is a winkle, because even Christ has the authority to lay down his life. Right. So it's not taken from him. So it is from himself, from his initiative. But even that initiative is from his father. Right. So he's always receiving. Mm. He's receiving the authority to. So he, no one takes this life from him. No one initiates this giving of life except the father <laughs> who gives him the authority to do this. And no one raises him up except the father who has given him the authority to receive this life, right? So he has every right to it. It is meant to be that he is raised, but the father is active in that, right? Um, nevertheless, John puts the emphasis on Jesus' own action. So I'm not, I'm not denying that this remains a, uh, an objection to, my usual way of speaking about this, uh, or should I say the New Testament's usual way of speaking about these things is to, is to see the father as the primary agent. But I think it's beautiful to kind of see, so it's all throughout the book of John, that, that Christ does nothing of himself. Yeah. He doesn't even perform his own stinking miracles by himself. According to him, he says, I do it from the father. I see what my father does, right? And it seems that most of all, his death and resurrection is this great act that he does alone, but precisely and only out of the authority and gift and love of the father who is fully active in him and on him, you know, so that he is the one who has every right to be raised. 
you know, it's utterly appropriate for him to be raised. Now, now having nerded out on that for a moment, it does occur to me that actually this links directly with these themes of what it means to be a good shepherd, right? That having authority is not to be lorded over, but precisely to be received and to be given, right? Um, so there's something there. Again, that's a, a, a part of my research that's that's uh, con, con, uh, clouding my judgment about what would be interesting here to <laughs> anyone else but me. <laughs> but, you know, you, sometimes that's uh, there's a lesson in there because sometimes you start with what interests you and you yeah. go deeper in it and sometimes you come out the other end with something that, that you're passionate about that would uh, end up interesting others. Uh, I'd need to work more on that to make it really sing, but... Well, I think that I think that that notion of authority is so important for us to reflect on because that is the the nature of authority is to be given a task, is to be authorized. Mm -hmm. One is in authority when one is when one is authorized, and mm -hmm. one is authorized by the author, right? The one the one who really who is in charge. And I mean, you can you can play that all the way all the way back into multiple levels of authority, but but Jesus's authority comes precisely because he is authorized by the Father to be the shepherd. Right, unless uh, who is the sheep owner? Right, I mean, you right, can play, play with that right. even more. That that he is the one who owns the sheep, and the son is the one who displays the love of the owner for the sheep, but as one who is authorized to lay down his life yep. for them. Right, it it would be a strange, it would be a strange act of a stranger to lay down his life for sheep. Hmm. That that would be a strange act, and we would even. We would even say that perhaps it was not an ethical act to lay down one's life for sheep if one had was authorized, had authority over others. Yeah. Right. To a, a family or whoever else. So, somebody else is missing out if an unauthorized person lays down their life for the hmm. sheep. But here, this is this is the authority that Jesus has been given is to be shepherd of the sheep of this of this fold of others of uh, sheep from another fold. That this is the authority hmm. he has been given to lay down his life for them. And it is, it is fitting. It is fitting because it is of his own volition. It's his own will. It's fitting because uh, as he does it, he's, he's received back, right? The, the right to his own life is, is there because he's lived out his authority in a fitting, in a fitting way. I mean, there's, there's, so I'm thinking about that. We're getting a little bit abstract, I guess yeah, you could say. But, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about like calling, like the important, maybe the importance of, of so now I'm thinking about other shepherds. And and because we're talking, I expect to a lot of shepherds here is is what does it mean for them to lay down their life for the sheep entrusted to them? Yeah, and not and not other sheep, and and being okay with that, right? Yeah. Not being okay to to see their own life being laid down for the life the, for the sheep the father has entrusted to them, and not for other sheep the father hasn't entrusted to them, and yeah. being and 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 being okay with that, and not just okay, but saying that is right and fitting, right? They are the yeah. father's sheep. The whole the whole world is the father's sheep, right? The the whole world is belongs to him. And for us to focus on those to whom, who have been given to us, yeah, recognizing you, our limits. And you keep you keep highlighting that he does it of his own volition. Yeah, it's done freely. And I think that's really important, um, and even important for us in the model that he is for us. Uh, I mean, let, let me connect that exegetically. So the beginning of verse eighteen. So another nerdy fun fact 17 and 18 is a little chiasm um so because the father loved me right it's the a then i lay down my life for the sheep so that i may take it back up again that's the b 
which rhymes with the B prime down in the second half of 18. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. So he repeats it. And then A returns to the father. This is the commandment I've received from my father. Right? So then that means the middle moment, C, is this sentence. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down from myself. Now, part of why this is so striking is that little phrase, from myself, ap imautu, appears all throughout John. And every single time, except verse 18, according to my research, I could be wrong. I'd love to be corrected. Anyone, you know, 10 bucks if you can find counter evidence. Uh, but uh, um, every other time, it's negated. I do nothing from myself. Nothing from myself. Or he talks about other people that they do things from themselves. But I don't. I do it from the Father, right? This is yeah. refrained throughout John. There's only one thing he does from himself, and that's die. Lay down his life. And that's the opposite of how we usually think of it in our own ministries. There's the stuff I do from myself, which is the stuff I'm good at. My works, my my preaching, my leading, right? And it's the things that I didn't plan on, the suffering, the stuff that came my way. That's the stuff from God. We say, well, God's in, God's in it, right? And I just you see Christ has a completely inverted perspective. All his awesome stuff, his teaching, his preaching, the stuff that if you just looked at it, the phenomenology of it, it's him doing it, you know, but he says all these signs I'm performing, uh, that's not from me. That's from my father. There's only one thing that's from himself, and that's his free act of giving himself up. Oh, wow. And I wonder if for me as a shepherd and for all of us as shepherds, because all every sheep is in some way a shepherd, even if it's of the small flock of just one other person who looks up to you, mm-hmm. you, you the all the great stuff we do is just god at work you know the one thing we have total freedom is when and where to pick up our cross and and suffer for another and that's not the thing that we bear as some burden that's been placed upon us but it's precisely a, the place of choice maybe i don't know there's something to play with there yeah i think i think there's something to play. i think there is something there and and how that that completely decons I mean that that deconstructs uh, that deconstructs so much of, of what we talk about gifting and leadership and living in our sweet spot and exercising our gifts. Not that it does away with that, but it just turns it back to God. Mm-hmm. That that when we are, when we are living in that moment of this is why God made me is that that's not the moment of freedom. That I mean it is a moment of freedom, but that's the moment of God at work, right? That's yes. the, that's the glory of God. And and how important it is then to that completely does away with any sense of jealousy. Like when you see another person who's really good at something and there's always within you that they're like, Oh yeah, like, yeah. I like, struggle with that. Oh, I want to be that good at something or like, am I, is what I'm as good at, or am I as good at my thing as they are at their thing? Right. Is, is that this just completely deconstructs that? Yeah. Is that, that is God. Like what you are seeing is God. And I mean, you can get into, and there's a great phrase, non-competitive transcendence, right? You can get into huh. that, that, God's transcendence is not threatened by our skill and by our, right, like he can get into that and how there's still like a importance of practicing, right. And, and refining your gifts and fanning into flame. You can use other biblical languages for it, but to, to keep coming back to that's, that's God at work. And what really is our opportunity to do something is simply to lay down our life when that, yeah. when that comes. And that's, that's what we do. That's what we do when the father's, is pleased with. I mean, that, that is the, that's the glory of the father. When the son chooses to do that, 
that is that's what the father said that that is the glory of the father whenever whenever jesus is is praying uh i'm gonna get i'm gonna have to look at look it back up in uh in john 12 but but when he says father glorify your name and the father says i have glorified him glorified yeah. again right right that is all about leading to the cross and the son's choice to do that is the glory of the father right that's mm -hmm. what that's what he takes that's what he takes pride in in displaying like right this and is, his glory too he's glorified in yeah. that yeah oh man i just read somebody a couple weeks ago said the phrase uh you know be careful what you lay down your life for because you only have one life to lay down mm. right so i lay down my life from myself right so to not just take every suffering that comes your way some suffering is just plain unjust yeah. and our calling is to resist it yeah and to correct it yeah um but that each of us in our own way has our one life to lay down. There is some great suffering for all of us, but that doesn't mean every suffering is valid is uh, to be valorized. Yeah. I think that would be a mistake, a, yeah. a grave mistake. Um, and lots of evil and injustice yeah. has been, has been excused because it's been spiritualized. Yeah. But I think nevertheless, each one of us has this one life to give and there is some way in which we, and perhaps in an important sense, freely choose the way to lay down our life. Um, obviously in discernment and submission to the father who gives us that authority, um, in a very different way than Christ, you know? So yeah, it's not going to have the same kind of, you know, absolute total freedom that Christ has, but in, but in an important sense it does, I think he doesn't, you know, even when it talks later when Peter's death gets predicted, you know, and this is the way that he would die in order to glorify God. It's, yeah. you know, it, it, and it's right there in the scene about jealousy with John. It's kind of everyone yeah. has their one way to, to lay down their life. And there's, you, you're not, there's not, it's not that some of us suffer and the others don't, or that, that I'm going to suffer 16 ways and God gets more glory. No, I've got one life to lay down, you know, and, and in some sense, maybe one kind of suffering, and it could be a life of suffering, but one kind of suffering that I need to be open to. But it's for the sheep, you know, which means who are the sheep that I'm entrusted to? And like you said, lay down my life for them, not just for any, uh, uh, you know, um, that I'm just running around looking for opportunities right. to martyr right. them, right? So this yeah. is not that. I don't know if that helps, but. Yeah, I think... Uh... Man, I'm, there's a couple there's, winkles. There's three or four, three or four. Which is John? I mean, that's just the Gospel of John. Is that is layer after layer and point after point is so is so difficult to kind of nail down. And that's why you can you can preach John numerous times. Yeah. And, and probably some of our listeners have, and and hopefully they're they're seeing uh, ways that they would preach the same passage in a different way mm. than they than they did before. And that's the that is the beauty of of John's gospel. I mean, it's all of scripture, of course, but I think uh, John's gospel in particular. Yeah, well, let me uh, let me end with a little prayer that I looked up, and and I'll just say, side note, I mean, the prayer that I used last week and this one too came off. I don't, you mentioned a different website. I used the to look up the lectionary. What was it again? Uh, I used Textweek. Textweek. Okay, this one is is I. It's it's the one on the Vanderbilt website. I think if you type in lectionary it'll it'll be high up on the google page maybe first although your google page is adjusted by your usage so yeah. maybe it's high on mine because i go there uh but anyway it has clickables for like art and prayers and stuff that connected to passages which is just cool um so i thought i'd mention that to say you know uh this is stuff you could 
you can find. But here's this, here's this prayer that, that seems to fit well, the text. So let us pray. Shepherd of all, by laying down your life for your flock, you reveal your love for all. Lead us from the place of death to the place of abundant life so that guided by your care for us, we may rightly offer our lives in love for you and our neighbors. Amen. Amen. All right, have a good preach. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.